Christmas is a wonderful time. And that was a, a lovely Abner. That song is lovely. It's a divine night. It's God, it was God's night when he sent Jesus. The whole of history turns around that, that one event or the event of the life of Christ. The whole of history turns around on that. Um, but today, I, I'm a person who loves um, Agatha Christie, Poirot, all these sort of mystery type things. And I, I used to read, my mother had all the Agatha Christie books. I've got, still got loads of them up in my loft. <laughs> and uh, I would like to sit down with a piece of paper and write the names of all the people down as I went through the book and try and guess who they were. And the only way I could do it was, was guess the most unlikely person possible. <laughs> and usually then you were right. <laughs> so today we're going to go, we're going to be doing an investigation into the scriptures. We're going to look at all the little bits and we're going to follow all the little lines of, of, uh, of the story. So there's quite a lot of scriptures. So I've before I start, I've, you know, I've got, instead of, you know what happens, you watch Paro and suddenly you think, I made a cup of tea during the advert, and you get back and you've missed a bit. And you think, what on earth are they talking about? And you miss a bit of the story. So, so you don't miss anything today, I've put down all the, all the references on a piece of paper. So you don't have to write notes, you can just sit back and listen to the story. So we're going to unpackage Christmas. Right, let's start. Father, we just thank you for Jesus. That the whole of scripture is about one person. Jesus, the Messiah. The Messiah that was to come. And I just ask Holy Spirit that you would just come and show us Jesus again this morning. Show us the glory of Jesus and what he did for us. In Jesus' name, open our hearts. Amen. Right, we've read these verses already. We're going to start in Luke 2. And we've had these verses read already. Sometimes I'll look and read the verse, sometimes I'll just quote them, or else we're going to be charging around the Bible and losing ourselves. Luke 2, 1 to 20, we've already had this read, but I'll read it again. And it came to pass in those days that when a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone to his own city. Joseph went up to, from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David. And to be taxed with his wife, Mary, as his supposed wife, being great with child. And so it was while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth a, a firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, watch, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were very afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, don't be worried, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, which is Christ the Lord. And, you shall, and this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And then we go on, 
And then suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, the angels were gone away from them in heaven. The shepherds said to one another, Let now go into Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all they that heard it wondered at these things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. So Bethlehem was the, was the house, of, house where David was. Now if we go back into Ruth, we found, remember the story of Ruth and the book of Ruth in, in, in ver, chapter 1, verse 1, they leave because there was a famine. The, the Ruth, uh, Naomi left with her husband and her two sons and they went away because there was a famine. The two, her husband and both her sons die. And, and Naomi comes back to Bethlehem in, uh, in Ruth 1, 19, with just Naomi. Naomi and Ruth come back. So Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, come back to Bethlehem. And they, they, they come to a near relative called Boaz, who was a very rich man, who had flocks and fields, a big farm. And, and uh, they, she eventually, Ruth, married Boaz, and Boaz had a son called Obed. Maybe because he was born in bed? No, maybe not. <laughs> and he had a son called Jesse. And Jesse was the David, David's father, King David's father. So that's where, then, if you look in, um, in, uh, in, in lots of places, we'll look, we'll look at it a bit later on, where David kept the sheep around Bethlehem. So Bethlehem was a place where there were sheep. But there was lots of prophecies in the Old Testament, in all over the place. There are over, I've got a list at home of 355 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. These are prophecies that are spoken of in the Old Testament hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And then it gave all the references in the New Testament. I've added another one or two to the list as well myself. In, in, in the, the, Jew, the Jewish priests and the, people, the scribes and Pharisees who studied the Bible, they had over 400 prophecies. I've got a book at home called The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah by Ardisham, and that lists them all at the back, all these prophecies, and Jesus fulfilled every one of them which were to be fulfilled in his first coming. He's coming again, and there's some prophecies still to be fulfilled. But there was lots of prophecies in the Old Testament. We'll read one or two of them in Psalm 132, verse 11. That there he said, The fruit of David's body will sit on his throne. So that which came out of David, that means it's a poetic way of saying he's, a, a descendant of David would sit on his throne. Um, in Isaiah 9, which we read today, shall we just read that again? Isaiah 9, verse 6, which is a very, very famous passage which is to do with Christmas, which read most Christmas places as part of the normal ser- carols and reading service. Chapter Isaiah 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, 
the mighty God, the everlasting Father, or the Father of everlasting, the one who's going to bring something everlasting, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there should be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. So it's going to be something that goes on forever. The zeal of the Lord will perform this. God said, I'll do that. My zeal, my wanting to do it, will do it. So it's talking about a ruler who would sit on the throne of David forever. So it's not going to be an ordinary ruler because everybody most, you know, our queen is very old now and she will eventually die and there will be a new ruler on the throne. But on this throne they're talking about there's only going to be one ruler. It's going to be an eternal ruler forever. Let's read in Jeremiah. Another, another one more prophecy we'll look at. Jeremiah 23, verse 5. And when God's going to say something, he says, Behold, I'm going to say something. <laughs> Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and, and shall execute judgment and justice in the, in the earth. In his day, Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. This is his name, whereby he shall be called the Lord of our righteousness. What a wonderful picture of him. Now what it's talking about, a branch here, is like when we have a, 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 a tree. Like we have a, what do you call a tree? Um, a family tree. And it's like a branch is going to grow out of this family tree of, of David. So that's what it's a poetic way of saying that something's going to come out of this branch. It's called a branch in quite a few places. Now remember that little verse, because we'll return to something similar to that a bit later. When the wise men went to Herod, because they didn't know where the baby was to be born, they quoted a verse from Micah 5.2, which I don't think we read today, but is read very often in the carol services. Micah is a very short little book, if I can find it, in the, in the Minor Prophets. Only minor because they're shorter, not because they're anything less. Micah 5, 2, and this is very well read. But though Bethlehem, Epaphra, through, through though, be, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, so it's a, not a very big place, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me that is a ruler in Israel whose goings forth have been from old and from everlasting. So somebody's going to come who's already been alive forever. From old, from everlasting. Not somebody, it's not just a new baby, it's somebody who's already been somebody, always. We could go over these, ver- we could expand every one of these verses and spend a whole hour on each one. So a ruler was going to be born. Now, we had a little, let's go back to our. It, that's the first little section. I want to talk about... So first of all, we've got someone who's coming, we know he's coming. And it's prophesied so many times in the Old Testament, which were written hundreds of years before he was born. Isaiah, more than 400 years. In Luke 2, which we read before, verse 7, 
She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, we get this idea. Well, let's go back to verse 6. So it was they were there, the days were accomplished that she thought she should be delivered. Now, we get the idea from lots of um, the nativity plays, uh, banging on all the doors, trying to find somewhere for Jesus to lay. But there's actually no real hint of that in that story. Well, when she was there, the child was going to be born. So she was already there. Let's look at that. In the inn. Now, the word inn is an interesting little word. Let's see if I can pronounce it. Cataluma. And that means, it could mean an inn. But it all is a, is a very broad, broad meaning. And we'll look somewhere else where we get the same words. Let's look, carry on in Luke, because sometimes different people might use different words in a different way. But we'll stay in Luke, and we'll look at Luke 22, verse 11, and see how else this word can be used. Is it 22, 11? Have I got it wrong? Huh? Yeah, I'll look at 23. Right. They were going to prepare for the Passover, and he said, Jesus said, you'll meet a man bearing a pitcher of water, follow him into a house, and you'll enter in. And say unto the good man of the house, say unto thee, where is your guest chamber? where I might eat the Passover with my disciples, and he will show you an upper room furnished and made ready. Now that word guest chamber there is the same word in, cataluma. So it doesn't just mean an inn, a paying inn. Let's look at Luke. There's also in, in Mark 14, 14, which that's the same story. Now let's look at Luke 10. Let's go back a few pages to Luke 10, 34. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Do you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? The man had gone down from down to Jericho and he'd been beaten up. People, people hadn't gone, people had passed him by and hadn't taken care of him. The Samaritan comes along, he sees him, takes him, bathes his wounds, puts him on his donkey, takes him to an inn. And there's a different word. And he said, <coughs> if, he said, if there's any more that I need to repay. On the morrow he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said to them, take care of him, whatsoever they spend is more, when I come again, I will repay thee. It's a different word. It's panclocarum, which means an inn where you pay. So, so we, Luke is making a bit of a distinguish between a place where you pay and a guest chamber. Now why do I think this is important? Well, for a start, they were going home to their family. So they weren't going to stay in, they weren't going to stay in, in the, 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 um, the Holiday Inn or, the, or their equivalent. They would stay in the family home because that's, that's the way. And they wouldn't have put them in a stable, would they? They would have put them somewhere nice. So let's go on to that. When, so we, we found that they probably weren't, I'm going to say it was a guest room. It was a guest chamber or a guest area of the house where these people stayed. Now, they had a guest area of the house for another reason. And in Leviticus 12, 2, we'll find out some of the reason why. It was a reason of convenience. 
Leviticus 12.2, when a person had a baby and there was an, an issue of blood because they're having a baby, they had lots of rules to have to take care of. So if we read in Leviticus 2, 12, sorry, 12.2, speak unto the children of Israel, saying, if a woman hath conceived seed and born a man-child, then shall she be unclean for seven days. According to the days of the separation of her infirmity, she shall be unclean. And if we turn over to Leviticus 15, we'll see what that means. So she was already unclean because she was having a baby. But there was another special reason. When she had a period, there would be, also, she would be unclean. So let's look in verse in um, Leviticus 15, 19 to 23. If a woman have an issue, and her issue in her flesh be blood, she shall be put apart for seven days. And whosoever touches her shall be unclean unto the evening. And everything that she lies upon in her separation shall be unclean. And everything that's, that she sits upon shall be unclean. And whosoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water, and he shall be unclean until evening. And whosoever touches anything she sat upon shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean. So it's very... If, when a woman was having her period, she would go and live in the guest chamber because everything she touched, everything she had, would become unclean. So then you'd have to be washed. If it wasn't just having a wash, you had to be bathed. This was like an immersion. And the rabbi would have to come round and you'd have to be ceremonially bathed in water like an immersion, like baptism. And your clothes. And you'd still be unclean for the rest of the day. You couldn't go to the temple, you couldn't do this, you couldn't do that. So, to make sure that everybody didn't become unclean, and the whole house didn't become unclean, they kept the guest room. So the women would go and stay in the guest room in that time. And when the baby was born, they would go and stay in the guest room, in the other room, to make it was convenient. So only that room got unclean, not all the other rooms. So it was a, you know, it was a bit of a problem, wasn't it? You had to go and do all this washing... Well, you've only washed, there's enough washing anyway. Anybody would know there's enough washing. They have to do extra washing. <laughs> so they, they kept themselves separate. So they were very practical. This is what they'd come up with. So, the guest chamber then. Let's read it again. The, there was no room in the guest chamber. Because, why? Because all the friends were staying there, because they'd all come. All the rest of the family were staying there. They would all come to, be, to, to do the census. So where did she go? Well, my friend Peter, my brother-in-law, rang me up, a, 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 this is what, a few years ago now, and he said, Tony, when the shepherds were told, you'll find a babe lying in a manger, how did they know where to go? I thought I'd never thought about that. How do they know where to go? Which manger? It's all they were told. This is the secret. It's a wonderful little secret hidden in history in all the Jewish writings. So we'll start into that. Let's have We've looked at in, uh, in Micah 5.2, haven't we, that the child will be born in Bethlehem. But let's look over the p- page at another prophecy which most people have missed. And Mr. Idersham in his book, The 
Life and Times of Christ the Messiah, talks about it. And that's in Micah 4.8. And thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, until thee shall it come. The, even the first dominion, the kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. So, they knew there was something going to happen at the tower of the flock. Let's go and have a little look at this. Somewhere else, this mention, the tower of the flock is mentioned in Genesis 35, uh, chapter 21. And we get a little story there. Jacob had been spending some time in Bethel where God had spoke to him and changed his name. And then in verse 16 in Genesis 35, they journeyed from Bethel and there was but a little way to come to Epaphrath. Now we find out that Epaphrath, we've heard about that Epaphrath, is Bethlehem. They were a little way from Bethlehem and Rachel travailed and she was in hard labour. The baby was about to come. And it came to pass when she was in hard labour that the midwife said to her, Fear not, Thou shall have this son also, because she'd already been she'd already had one son, Joseph, and she was promised another son. And it came to pass, as her soul was departing, for she died, she was dying, she called his name Benomi, but his father called his name Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way of Epaphra, which is Bethlehem. Jacob set the pillar upon her grave, that is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. Then Israel, this is, right, no, this is the new name of Jacob, Israel journeyed and spread his tent behind the Tower of Edah. Now, if you didn't know that, you would think, oh, that's, but no, that means tower. The word Edah is the tower of the flock, the same tower of the flock which is mentioned earlier on in Micah. And it was near Bethlehem. Now, we knew David, if you look in 1 Samuel, we won't go there, 16, he left, uh, Samuel came to David's house in, to Jesse, God told him to go to Bethlehem and to go to Jesse's house, and then you'll find Dave, then you'll find someone to be anointed in that family. And he went around all, the, all of them. He said, Not this one. Now, have you got any more sons? Yes, we've got David is out in the field feeding with the sheep, and he came and he anointed him. So we can see that David was keeping sheep outside Bethlehem. Now, that's quite important when we come on a little bit later on. And if you read, do you remember? They, these towers, the Migdal Edo, or the Tower of the Flock, was a watchtower. Now, there were many watchtowers built throughout the, tower, throughout the country to keep watch for enemies coming in and robbers. But this was a tower of the flock, so it was a special tower. And it was there to look, up, look out and keep an eye on the flocks, the, the flocks of sheep. Do you remember when David said, I, I went and fought the bear and I fought the lion? And... Uh, so there were always things that came in. So they would see them coming and he would get down. There was somebody would shout maybe, David, is something coming? And he would rush out and go and kill the lion or kill the bear. All right? He was talked about that when he was coming to Goliath and he recounts when he's had to do kill a lion and a bear. So the towers were there to keep an eye on and to the bandits. Um, in the Jewish writings, which are cited by... Rabbi Monk, 
When, when, I didn't know this, but when they went to, um, into uh, captivity in Babylon, they decided then that their, their oral traditions would have to be written down because they might lose them. So they wrote them all down. So these people are now quoting these, these passages which, they, which were extra to the scriptures, which were the oral traditions and explained how you did all the things that you did in the law. And they added lots and lots of their own laws. And you remember Jesus said, you say this, but I say this. He was talking about these traditions which they had. But they had got quite a lot of things right. One of the things, tradition, Rabbi Monk paraphrases that passage in Genesis and the passage in Micah, which we looked at. He said, he spread his tent beyond the tower of the flock, the place where King Messiah will reveal himself at the end of days. So they knew, they knew that that was a place where the Messiah was going to come, to the tower of the flock. So, this was the sign. How do they know where to go? Well, in other Jewish writings, from Shekelemina 7.4, which I've looked at on the internet, of the herds, all that means sheep, or the, the herds, they had goats and sheep and other herds as well for, for the sacrifices, in the space between Jerusalem and the Tower of the Flock on both sides, the males are for the burnt offerings and the females are for the peace offerings. So these flocks, which were around the Tower of the Flock near Bethlehem, they weren't just any old flocks. They were the flocks for the sacrifices. Now, in, I looked up in AD 70, just before the temple was... was destroyed, they, they sacrificed 260,000 sheep. They needed a lot of sheep. We just think it's a few little bits here. They, that, was, that was a lot of sheep, wasn't it? So, they, they were there for the temple sacrifices. They were especially trained shepherds. They had to make sure that the sacrifice was without blemish. So, when, as I said, the top of the tower was used as a lookout to keep an eye on the flock, but lower down, the room was like a maternity ward for sheep. The sheep were brought in when they were, the ewes were brought in when they were about to give birth. And they gave birth inside the tower of the flock, according to this man, Idisham. The sheep, would, the lambs would be born, they would be wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in limestone mangers. So that's how they knew because they weren't just any old shepherds, they were the ones looking after the sheep and flocks prepared for the sacrifices. And there were a lot of sacrifices, as we saw, heard. Lots of sacrifices. And the lambs had to be perfect. So, as soon as the lamb was born, to make sure it didn't damage itself and get cut or blemished in any way, they wrapped them up. They wrapped them up. And when they were about to be sacrificed, they wrapped them up and bound them up. Remember Abraham wrapped up Isaac and bound him up before he was 
and that, that, that sacrifice obviously didn't happen for his son, for his son Isaac. He rammed them up, and you look, you look, and they said, bind the, it talks about binding the sacrifice to the horns of the altar, the burnt, off, burnt offering altar. So they were bound, so they could bind them up, and they could check them. You know what it's like. If you've got a cat or any other animal trying to inspect it, it's almost impossible unless it's really docile. It wants to thrash around and try and get out of your hands. So that's why they bound them up. So this is where Jesus was laid. Jesus was laid among the lambs that were there for the sacrifice in the temple. Let's look at John, chapter 1, verse 29. This is John the Baptist speaking. Jesus had been the day before and they got baptised. And the Holy Spirit had come upon him. And John said, who the Holy Spirit comes upon you? Pon. When you baptise him, you know that this is the one. And he said, looking at Jesus, and this is the record, uh, where are we? 129. Next day, John sees Jesus coming unto him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which comes to take away the sin of the world. So you never know why I think that the guest chamber was what it was, and not an inn. That he was born in a tower of the flock. Because it was, uh, they could... They knew what the sheep were there for. And they knew as soon... That's why they were so excited when they went back. Messiah's here. Just for a minute, if, if you were shepherds and you were looking after those, and you were in their position, and the heavens opened, and it was full of angels singing and praising God, you knew something was going on. <laughs> and they looked for the Messiah, hadn't they? Because they were um, under Roman rule. They were looking for somebody to come along and... Take, throw the shackles of Rome off. But they didn't realise it was a different shackle that was to be thrown off. The shackle of sin was to be thrown off by Messiah. In Numbers 28, verse 3, Numbers gives us lots of information about, about the sacrifices, how they were to be carried out. In, in Hebrews it says... Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. We saw that right at the beginning, a picture when, when Adam had sinned and God killed something to clothe them in their, sheep, in, in their clothes. So the shedding of blood was right back there. The, the pattern was fixed right back, in, right back in Genesis 3. Right back there. And so they had a continual sacrifice. This is Numbers 28.3. And they shall say unto them, This is the offering made by fire. You shall offer the Lord two lambs of the first year, without spot, day by day, for a continual burnt offering. One lamb shall they offer in the morning, another lamb shall they offer at the evening. And then uh, it's a continual burnt offering, verse 6, which was ordained in Mount Sinai for a seat saver and a sacrifice made by fire, unto the Lord. So, one la- so there was one lamb in the morning and one lamb in the evening. At the third hour, which is six, nine o'clock and three o'clock in the afternoon. 
and all the other sacrifices, there was the lamb sacrifice had been first, and then all the other sacrifices would happen, and then they would have another, the other of the continual sacrifices. So that's over 730 lambs just, just for the continual sacrifice. Two lambs every day. Whatever other sacrifices were happen, there was a continual sacrifice unto God. And it's important that they, they had these. There was a continual fire on the burnt offering. It never went out. The fire never went out on the burnt offering. They became known, in one of the writings of the Jews, this was obviously after quite a few years, these sacrifices were, this is how they, how they viewed these sacrifices by one of the rabbis. As continually, every day of the year, as an atonement for the ignorance of what it means to be separated from the presence of Jehovah. So what it means is talking about the unknown sins that people were committing which separated them from Jehovah. That's, what they, that's how they began to view it. Remember they didn't view themselves as being sinners much, did they? So they more thought, well this sacrifice must be for the sins we don't know about. Hence Jesus' words on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was the sin sacrifice for all the sins you don't even know you've done let alone the ones you do know. Wow. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it wonderful? (laughs) We don't have to go and remember them all because he's he's dealt with the ones we can't even remember. That was how they looked at that sacrifice. Let's look in Luke. Um... That's in Luke 23, 33 to 35. Let's look. Uh, Mark 15, 25. Now there are lots of different, the three different account, four different accounts in the Gospels which give us a, a, a broad picture of what happened at the cross and you can put all of them together and you get a very big picture. One of the things you want to look at in Mark 15 25, I said I've got everything. Right. Right. Well, let's start at chapter, verse 22. And they bring him unto a place called Golgotha, which has been interpreted the place of the skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. That was to dull the pain. They were, oh, they were going to crucify the person. They thought, well, maybe we ought to give him something to take the pain away a bit. But he refused it. And when, and when they crucified him, they they part his garments and cast lots upon them what man should take, what every man should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. Let's go over to verse 34. And the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Elo, Elo, Samak Bafani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why has they forsaken me? So we're here, we see here Jesus being the lamb, the first lamb, and the second lamb. And in between we see it goes dark. Why is that? That's because Jesus was drinking the cup, not only of our sin. We, we talk about that quite a lot. But the cup wasn't the sin. 
And the cup, well it was, but the cup wasn't the pain. It wasn't the pain. It was the wrath of God on him. That was what the cup was. If you look in the Old Testament, you'll see he talks about cups of wrath. It was the wrath of God on him. He became a burnt offering. Remember when the, the prophets of Baal and the fire came from heaven and burned up the offering? That's what happened when Jesus was on that cross. He became, the fire of, the, of God came upon him. Because fire speaks of judgment. And he became the burnt offering for us. Wonderful Jesus. He became our burnt offering, taking away our sin. Isn't that a wonderful thing? He was our burnt offering. In Hebrews 9, 14. In fact, you can read the whole of Hebrews 9 and the whole of Hebrews 10 to get a big picture of this, what they're talking about here. He said, the blood of Christ, 9.14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your consciousness from dead works to serve the living God? Hallelujah. He was without spot. There was nothing wrong with Christ. Now, I hadn't quite realised this. Well, I'll tell you about it in a minute. I'll talk about that in a minute. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Thank you, Jesus. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. It talks about... Well, even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. He was the Passover lamb that was sacrificed. So that's looking back to Genesis when they came out of, Israel, when they came out of Egypt. In 1 Peter 1, 18. This goes through the whole of Scripture, these, this whole idea. 1 Peter 1, 18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain way of life, received by tradition from your fathers. That's, that's talking about the vain way of living under the law and trying to, trying to take, keep the law. But with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb, without blemish and without spot, who was verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in the last times for you. Wow, Jesus without spot was offered as a precious lamb without spot. Wow, isn't that wonderful? We, 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 we can go on. There's a little one which I found in another of the little minor prophets. I've come across this in my reading. In Zechariah, which is the la- not the last book of the Old Testament, the next, but the penultimate, that's a good word, book, Zechariah 3. Remember I talked about the branch coming out, a branch coming out of the tree, which was the person called the branch, growing out of the, the um, David's seed. Hear now, O Joshua. Joshua was the high priest. This is God speaking. And thy fellows that sit before thee, there are men of wonder, or something to be wondered at. He's talking something that men will wonder at. For behold, God's going to say something. A behold is coming. I will bring forth my servant, 
the branch. For behold the stone that I have laid before Joshua. Behold, one stone shall be seven. He's talking about seven eyes. He's talking about God seeing everything. Behold, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts. And I will remove the iniquity of the land in one day. One day. One sacrifice, one day. You can have your sin, your iniquity removed in one day. Hallelujah. In one day. That lamb. That lamb again, now we're going to listen to a song in a minute, and it stirred me up. That lamb again was wrapped again. Do you remember when that lamb was wrapped again? Where was he, when was he wrapped again? The Lamb Christ. In the tomb. He was wrapped in the tomb. Let's look in John's Gospel. So I haven't got... I, I just added this on. Peter, it's, oh, on the first day of the week, there come of Mary Magdalene early and it was dark. This is chapter 20. And unto the sepulchre and sees the stone. That's the tomb where Jesus was put, taken away from the sepulchre. So she, she'd known where Jesus was put because they went there and wrapped him up and put spices in to keep the body. So she knew where she was going. You wouldn't forget where, you'd laid, where your master had been laid, where your best friend would be laid. She runs and comes to Simon Peter. Oh, she said, it was dark and the stone was taken away. She runs and comes to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, that's John, whom Jesus loved and said, they've taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre and we don't know where they've laid him. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulchre and they ran both together and the other disciple outran Peter. <laughs> this is John. He's not being... He's not saying his name because he doesn't want to be presumed presumptuous that he's a, a Hussein Bolt. And he came first to the sepulchre. And stooping down, he looked in and saw the linen clothes lying, yet went not in. And, then come, and he went in and he said, the napkin that was around his head was not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. And he went in and he saw and believed. The clothes were empty, the wrappings were empty. Why? Because the sacrifice had been accepted. The sacrifice for your sin, my sin, the wrath of God had gone on Christ and had been accepted and he went up into heaven. He could go into heaven. He could only do that if it had been accepted. Wonderful. Isn't that wonderful? The sacrifice have been accepted. We're going to listen to a song now, which Karen put me on to during the week, and it fits in very well with where we are. carry 
His flocks by night They were not ordinary sheep They were set apart Born to be passed over lands And when a spotless male was born He was held on the manger floor Swaddled up just to keep him calm Until his time And the shepherds sang Wrap this one up He is a lamb Without blemish Wrap this one up He'll make his way To the temple The call of a mother in a town nearby to tend and to carry on this holy night. Not an ordinary child, but the Son of God, breathed by the Holy Spirit. And when the baby He was held on the manger floor As she swaddled him up She knew his time would come As she sang Wrap this one up He is the one That we adore Wrap this one up He'll Without blemish, rap.
wrap this one up, he paid the price, and it is finished. But death. Was-